for those of you who don't know me, I'm Melody. If you've uh, come with us in the in this little interim while I've been gone, I've been gone for six weeks visiting my parents who are missionaries in uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo. I was raised as a missionary kid. Again, for those of you who don't know me, um, since I was two years old, and then when I graduated from high school, we came here to the States, and predominantly I've been here for the last 40 years, so you can try to do that math and figure out how old I am. (laughs) If you're one of those people. So let's just pray as I get started. Um, I'm not used to really sharing the way I'm going to share today, so it's going to be a little different for me. But the Lord came to church, and (laughs) he's going to help me do this. So, Father, we just thank you that you're here today and that you know us, you love us, you care for each one of us, and that you have things to impart to each one of us today, Lord, that will cause us to leave here changed with a different perspective, a different way of looking at life and this planet at you, your love. And so, Lord, we just we just open our ears to you today um, to hear from your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we're going to just start out reading some scriptures, and then I'm not really going to... Uh, I'll be referencing the scriptures we read as we go, but for the most part, uh, I'm just going to kind of be sharing about my trip. Sharing about things that the Lord has taught me, shared with me, um, that I've learned along along these several weeks. And so we're going to start, first of all, with John chapter 16, verse 13. It says this, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, and he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Now, this is one of Pastor's favorite scriptures, but he kind of rephrases it, and I think the Lord's okay with that. <laughs> and he phrases it like this. It says that the Holy, he says the Holy Spirit leads us, guides us, and shows us things to come. But, you know, if we're not, if our ears are not open, if we're not realizing that this is actually what the Holy Spirit wants to do with us, then there's a lot of things that we miss because we don't realize what he's doing. We don't realize that he's trying to show us something that's out there. We don't realize he's trying to lead us in a certain direction because we kind of get this mindset that it's me in this life and I'm going to work through it the best I can, be the best person that I can, um, help others the best I can, and yet not realizing that in a very practical way that, that the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, is wanting to lead you into things that are coming. So the second scripture is Psalm 37, um, 30, or 23. The first part, so simple. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. This is true for you. It's true for me. That your steps, the steps that you take, you know, the distance that you go from the, from the time that you get out of bed in the morning, you start with that first step. Maybe a little creakier for some than others. <laughs> Your kids might spring out three feet from the bed and you very gingerly sit up and stretch and get up. But whatever your steps are, the Lord is ordering your steps. He's wanting to guide your steps. Now, again, if you're not thinking about this, if you're not realizing this, if you're not aware of it, then you're just going to put your little steps wherever your brain tells you to, to put them 
And sometimes the Lord can work within that, but sometimes there's things that we miss because we don't realize. We're not, we're not keeping in the forefront. We realize it is a spiritual principle that we store in the back of our mind, but we're not keeping in the front of our thinking that, that there may think, be things God wants me to do today <laughs> that I'm not even aware of. There might be people he wants me to talk with, things he wants to do, things that are really practical that may not seem very significant, but that he wants me to do. But if I'm not realizing that God's wanting to order my steps, he's not just going to push you like wherever he wants you to go. You and he have to work together with these things. And so if you are a good person, (laughs) you are, (laughs) you have been made righteous. When you received the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've done that, when you received him and you said, Lord, I accept what you did for me when you died on the cross, when you were buried, when you were raised, I accepted that, I received that. The Bible says that you are now the righteousness of God in Christ. That makes you a very good person who sometimes make mistakes. (laughs) But your steps are ordered to the Lord. He has things that he wants you to do, places he wants you to go. Um, And then Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, the the scriptures that we've been focusing on this year. I didn't give them to Chelsea. So, um, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. How hard is that for us? (laughs) You know, because the Lord's given us understanding. He's given us wisdom about certain things. And those are all so helpful for us in walking through life. And yet the Lord never wants us to lean on those as though they are the source of life. He wants us to be led of him. So don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. That means make him a part of what you're doing. And he will direct your paths. You're not just wandering out in life. You're not just moving here and there and we're just going to see what happens at the end of all this. No, God wants to order your steps. He wants to direct your paths. And so we're going to rewind just a little bit. Probably two or three years ago, um, my attitude was not great because there were things in my responsibilities here at the church that I was not realizing it doing purely in my own strength. And how many of you know that when God gives you things to do but you decide you're going to do them in your own strength, they become hard. (laughs) And so, you know, where Jesus said, he said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, it's like there is nothing easy or light about this Lord. (laughs) And so... If, if, you're, if you're smart, and it took me a little while to smarten up, if you find that things are hard and heavy, it means that you're not cooperating with God. This is either not his yoke for you, either this is not the thing that he has for you to carry, or uh, you're not leaning to him, and that's what, that's what the Lord began to teach me. So I would have, you know, my... I'd, feel my little phone, look at my phone, a little number pop up there. You know, there's texts. I turn off all the buzzers because they're way too distracting for me. So I see a little number whenever I look at my phone and I look at it. Oh, it's that person. No, I'm not looking at it. No, sir, I'm not. I'm not going to read it. I'm going to pretend like it's not there. (laughs) That text did not come. I don't even know what it says, but I know it's not a good thing. (laughs) I know this is going to make more work for me. And so finally I looked at it and then half the time it'd say, Melody, I just love you and appreciate you. It's like, oh, I'm such a jerk. <laughs> you know, I didn't want to read that text because I'm expecting something negative. 
And, you know, the Lord began to teach me to look for the grace in a situation. Because, you know, if something, how many of y'all have things that come up that aren't really fun to deal with? You know, we all do because we're alive here on planet Earth. And so the Lord began to teach me in every moment when it's like, oh, no, to look for the grace. And I began doing that. It took me a while. It was a learning process because I just, I, my husband will tell you, I just, I'm, I'm stretchy. I've never been afraid in my adult life of, of work, of doing things. But, you know, God never intended for us to do his work in our power. He intended for us to do his work in his power. And so I would just feel stretched. But who, who caused that? I caused that by not looking to God to do the thing he had called me to do. So I began to do I, the best I can describe it is what the Lord was telling me to just always look for the grace. That means expect to God be expect for God to show up in this situation to be helped. <laughs> I'm not going to do this on their own. So I'd look at that text and I'd say, Lord, you have a problem. <laughs> you have someone who can't be here on Sunday, and so you're going to have to come up with something creative because I can't think of anything myself. I'd put my phone up and I'd go about my day, and before I knew it, I'd just refuse to worry because why? His his burden is easy, his yoke is light, or maybe I got those switched up, I'm not sure. But whichever way, it's not supposed to be stressful as we walk through life with God, even when we're doing really hard things that maybe we're not even truly capable of in our own strength. We can do hard things because God helps us. So he had me in training. And so the last two or three years, I've been working. It's like, look for the grace, look for the grace. (gasps) Okay, I'm going to look for the grace in this, Lord. Lord, you have a problem. God, (laughs) you have something to fill. you got to fix this because I don't have a solution. And sure enough, he began showing me that if I would look to him, that he'd show up, that he'd have an answer for me, he'd have a solution for me. It's like, well, that was easy. I just texted this person and said, would you help? And they said, yes. Well, that just wasn't near as hard as what I thought that it was going to be, you know. And so I said all that to say this. Um, the, the trip that I took to see my parents for the 21st century is not an easy trip. Very few people go to see my parents because it's just flat out difficult to get there. Um, And then I got to thinking as I was planning this trip, I thought, you know, the last time that I took this trip by myself, I was 22 years old. (laughs) I don't know if your math has been figuring, but I'm, I'm 58. Aren't I 58? No, I'm 57. I'm 57. Okay. I've only been 57 since September, but it's always so hard remembering, you know, you look ahead, I'm going to be this, and then I was this anyway. So I'm 57. And so I just thought, oh, Lord, you know, because I know last time Mike was with me and the kids were all with me, and, and you know, they actually had an easier access that time. They had this speedboat that was in operation for passengers, and now it went out of business, so there's no speedboat anymore, and I'm just a little... I remember even getting on that boat. I mean, I had to kind of hike it up a little bit. It's not like you're walking up a ramp or anything. So I thought, oh, y'all, I'm selling suitcases. And, and my dad sent me a big old long list of everything I was going to bring, and I sent him a note back, and I said, I'm bringing two suitcases. One, two. Mike bought me pushy ones that I can push. There's not going to be. There's going to be a backpack on my back. One, two, whatever I'm going to suitcases is what's coming. 
any more than that, I'm bringing because I don't know how to hike over the sides of boats and everything with more than two suitcases. So, uh, I'm a getting a little uptight. I'm not, I want to go see my folks. I know this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm getting a little uptight. And then the Lord reminded me of something that totally, totally set my mind at ease. He reminded me that Jesus would be with me. Now, I am quite aware of the fact that Jesus lives inside of me and goes everywhere that I go. But somehow, when the Lord brought that to my attention, that Jesus would be with me, even though Mike and the kids and everyone, and my parents and my sister, nobody else would be with me, it's like, oh, well, that makes a big difference. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, everything's going to be all right because whether it's on a plane or a ship or whatever I end up taking, Jesus is going to be with me. I'm going to have someone there. He's going to show me what to do. Everything is going to be okay because he is leading us and he's guiding us. So as I was planning this trip, it's a process. This particular country, every country is different. It's the Democratic Republic of Congo. But just to apply for a visa, if you're going to visit somebody, the person that you're going to visit has to write a letter of invitation. It can't be done from this side of the globe. It has to be done from that side of the globe. They have to visit, I think, three different offices, get three different stamps of approval. And then once that's done, then you can actually apply for the visa. So it's like, Lord, the family's made it clear I'm supposed to be home for the holidays. I can't be gone for the holidays. I did that when Easton was born, and they said no more of that. So I have to be home for the holidays. And my sister, I'm waiting on her to do this paperwork. So my time is it's going, and I can't do anything and that's when the Lord just told me, you know, I'm a planner. Those of you who've been around me know that I don't like waking up being unprepared for the day. If I get up tomorrow, I want to know what's going to happen tomorrow, which makes it very difficult when you live with someone like my husband who calls and says, let's go get coffee. It's like, oh, no, that's, that, what, that wasn't in the plan. <laughs> I got things to do here, here, here. Now, if you can work it right here and here, I can make some time here. We can go have coffee, you know, but I'm a planner. And the Lord just impressed in my heart that this trip would not be a planned trip. It's like, I have several flights and a boat and places to stay along the way and places to stay while I wait for the boat. But the Lord just impressed on me that my gifts of organization and planning would not, not be useful in this particular trip. So it's like, okay, remember the Lord's been leading me little by little over the last two or three years, letting me know that there's grace in the moment, that there's a grace in this place. And so it's like, okay, I've never done this. And Lord, you remember that I haven't done this trip by myself since I was 22. There's not going to be anybody to carry my luggage, which is kind of a big deal for me. <laughs> and so it's like, okay. So everybody asking, when are you going to go? I don't know. First of all, I have to wait for the paper from Stephanie. So finally, the paper from Stephanie came. We sent it off. And miraculously, last time that we went, it was weeks that our, we were waiting for a visa. And this time, uh, within a week, my passport was back with my visa. So Mike's like, well, when are you going? It's like, well, just as fast as I can. Got everything done as quickly as I could. As soon as I got it all done, it's like, okay, the, the end is in sight right here, Mike. And then... When I, if I have a layover somewhere, I can finish up the last little bit. So why don't you get me a ticket for this day? And so within two days, I was gone. So I'm on my trip. I'm on my trip. I'm on my trip. And then I'm going to have uh, 
chose to show you this picture. This is the only problem in this entire trip. There's not a problem in this trip. Paul's made this trip. Did you take a cargo boat, Paul? I don't. Did you take a cargo boat back then, or how did you get to Kalimi? It's like a map. Oh, you took math? Okay, okay, he cheated. So, um, <laughs> no, okay, this isn't the greatest picture in the world. But if you see that little, little red line from the top right hand down to the, the left hand where the little red line is, that's the little trip that I needed to make in a ship, which is the problem. Because uh, this is not, I'm going to sh- I'm going to explain to you this lake. This is Lake Tanganyika. Here's some statistics about it. It's the longest fresh water lake in the world. It's 418 miles long. So when you look at it on the map, it's like, oh, it's a lake. But it's a lake. It is a serious lake. It's 45 miles wide in its widest point. Where my parents live, if you look across it, it looks like an ocean. The waves come in like an ocean. It is a massive, massive body of water. has 16% of the world's usable fresh water in it, if you want to know that. It's the second deepest lake in the world, over 4,000 feet at its deepest spot. When we were there last time, the kids were, the kids were swimming. And Jared, he swam out. He said, man, it's so cold out here. He's telling the missionaries. And they said, oh, yeah, when you swim out and it goes cold, there's a 1,000-foot drop there. He's like... I was swimming over a thousand foot drop. It's like, yeah, you survived it. But <laughs> but anyway, so it's a huge body of water. But between those two points, there are no passenger boats, ships, whatever. There are only cargo boats. And so if you want, is there, I gave you a picture of the cargo boat. This is actually another boat, but it was, it was alongside us. So on that whole front part is where they just pile up all the cargo that's going. And then passengers just sit on top of the cargo. They sit in the aisles if it's raining. You can just go to the top part up there. You can sit up there. But passengers are kind of your own on your own. Now, both ways, I, I rented a bed from a crew member. <laughs> so I had a pay, place to sleep. So if you want to show the next slide, this was, you see that green at the bottom? That was my bed. And that was my room, and everybody just piled all their stuff in there. I don't even know why. I'm sure he, they probably all paid the crew members a certain amount to be able to have their stuff out of, you know, the open air. But anyway, you couldn't sit up in there. There's no chairs on the boat. There's a little lip in the doorway that was about this thick that I sat on for a few hours, but my rump was very tired after sitting on that little thing. And plus, other people wanted to sit on that little thing. And so the other option was standing up. And so y'all all feel real sorry for me right now, don't you? Do you know that that was probably the most coveted spot on the whole ship? Everybody looking at me was like, man, I wish I had a place to lay down like her. Because everybody out, this particular ship looked just like the other ship I showed you, except after they put all the cargo in, they put two huge dump trucks on the top of it. So no one could sit up there because they didn't want them in case the dump truck fell over, you know, to hurt somebody. So everybody had to just kind of find a place to sit, not there. And so everybody, this is a 10-hour trip, everybody just sitting, happy to find a way. But anyway, you just wait. So when I got to the place to get the ship, I expected on a Friday to get off. I just thought, I'm believing God. How many of y'all have ever done this? 
I'm going to order my own steps. Yes, I am. <laughs> I'm going to get off this plane. They're going to take me right to the port. I'm going to jump on a ship, and I'll be in Kalimi by morning. There was no ship that day. There was no ship on Saturday. There was no ship on Sunday. There was no ship on Monday. There was no ship on Tuesday. <laughs> Finally, there was a ship on Wednesday. And so all this time I'm sitting, it's like, Lord, you said you were ordering your steps, so therefore I'm not going to be stressed. I'm going to relax. I'm going to have fun. By the way, I'm not going to be done until I'm done, okay? So if anyone gets done before I'm done, just be ever so discreet as you leave. But I'm not going to be done until I'm done. So um, as I as I am waiting for the ship, it's like the Lord is ordering my steps. He is in charge here. There's a grace. He's got a plan. This is not a planned trip. Um, I tried to plan my faith. You know, I'm going to get the ship on Friday. That didn't go. So my assumption is the Lord didn't want me to go that day. And so as I'm sitting there, finally, as the days are ticking away, I just said, Lord, you know, I'm all into this you ordering my steps thing. However, I want one full month with my family, and you're just going to have to figure that out. And so that's all I had to say about it. It's like, I will follow you, Lord, but one full month. <laughs> that's what I want. So I got to Kalimi, spent uh, some some great time there with my family for a solid month, did lots of ministry. When I got off the boat, Dad informed me I'd be um, preaching in chapel for the Bible school every Monday. Stephanie informed me that I would be leading the ladies' meeting on Tuesday. I showed up with her for the youth meeting, and when I got there, we were all meeting afterwards, and he said, Sister Melody's going to be preaching for us next week. And it's like, oh, Okay, well, I'll be here next week. And then after the next week, I preached, and I just felt like I gave everything the Lord had for me to give. And he got up, and he said, so next week, Sister Melody, she's going to be finishing her message. And I'm like, I thought I was finished. But he was right. Sure enough, there was a little bitty section I hadn't, I hadn't got to. And when I started looking over it that week, it's like, oh, the Lord isn't finished with this message. There's a whole other part. So I got to teach the youth a couple times, got to teach in church, had a great time of ministry there, got to go visit a lot of the different ministries, which we're going to talk about, and I will try to talk fast. But really, um, we're a part of everything going on over there, and I'd really like uh, to for you all to sort of understand everything that is involved in the ministry over there that we are a part of. So we'll fast forward, and then we'll rewind after our full month after, after being there for four weeks, Mike and my dad were talking. Mike wasn't talking to me because he knew what I would think. But he and dad were talking. He told dad, okay, so this first, this week here, she's got a flight out on Friday. Starting Monday, any ship that comes, she has to leave on. And dad's like, Melody, now I know you're not going to like this, but any ship that comes, come Monday. And Steph and I are like, there is no ship coming Monday. There was no ship on Monday. There was no ship on Tuesday. There was no ship on Wednesday. There was no ship until um, the next Monday. What was so interesting, so it was a full week. I'm waiting on a ship coming back this way. What was so interesting is that that Sunday, um, my dad, we were driving to church, and he said, Melody, do you realize that today you've been with us one month? And that's when I remembered what I told the Lord. Lord, I want a full month with my family. And it's like, Lord, to me, a full month was four weeks. And, you know, that was past a few days ago. 
Flex that. That's what you said. <laughs> so the next day I got to ship out and um, everything is more complex as you can imagine with COVID. You know, right now you got to wait for testing where my parents are. There is no testing. So you got to get somewhere else and take the test and wait, you know. So I've had my fair share. I hadn't had any COVID tests until I went for this trip and now I've had my full share. So we're going to get on to, there's some pictures of my family for those of you who don't know them. Just whatever comes up, Chelsea, I'll will just so she's gonna find them yeah that's I they're like family to me but there's there is the four of us that's my father Ralph my mother Shirley they've been in uh, Africa for 55 years now I believe um, I in the green dress at the top is my sister Stephanie and then there is me and then there's a I don't know what family pictures I gave you, Chills. There should be one of my dad. My dad, when he was a teenager, when the Lord called him to Africa, he thought he was going to be an engineer. And so he changed, he changed routes, and he was headed for the mission field. But the truth is that my dad, I don't even know how many buildings he has built for ministries. It started out with helping people build churches then he's built one Bible school uh, in Tanzania that now has over 400 students um, every semester. He's built a Bible school here. So my dad has been building, building, building. Any building that is mentioned in any of this ministry, uh, my dad has built it. Uh, it's just part of his call in life. He loves to build. He loves to provide housing for different things that serve the Lord. And then it seems like I gave you another picture of my family, but I may not have Chelsea. So if one if one other one pops up, then it pops up. Oh, the, me and my sister, my sweet sister. It's only the two of us. Um, so there's the two of us. So the first thing that we're going to look at is uh, the Bible school. And this is this was the first thing that came into my my father's heart when they started this ministry, um, probably 35 years ago now. In, in the Congo is he, uh, he had in his heart, he's always done, oh, aren't they sweet? Um, he had in his heart that he wanted to come and work with all churches, help them do ministry. And so he didn't know in the, initially how he was going to do that, but the Lord, in one week's time, they took a, a trip out to get everything planned, and he said what had taken him years in Tanzania. In one week, the Lord showed him, what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. And so what they did is they started the Bible school in tents, took a bunch of tents over, classrooms, dormitories, everything. As they were able, they built mud buildings, and then after they had all the mud buildings built, then they started building um, permanent buildings and tearing down mud buildings. And so they have a Bible school, which was the initial ministry that they went to start there. But then, after they'd been there about a year, my sister and I went out uh, to celebrate their 25th anniversary. And my sister, when it was time for us to leave, she felt like she wasn't supposed to. So, she stayed, not knowing really what to do. She definitely did not feel like the Bible school ministry was her thing. She didn't know what she was there for. But do you remember that the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us? He shows this thing to come so often in ways we don't know. So she's sitting around feeling like, why am I here? And she began noticing that there were lots of kids running around with these tropical ulcers. 
They didn't have any sort of bandages. They didn't have anything like access to that, any medicines, anything to clean them with. And, you know, over there, just flies all in those. And uh, she's just like, well, I don't know anything. I'm not a doctor or nurse or anything like that, but I could do something. So she started telling these kids, you know, come to my house. And she would just clean out the sores and whatever she could get a hold of, squirt it in it to disinfect them and wrap it in some kind of bandage. And so she would tell them, okay, come back in a couple days. We'll change it. And so pretty soon she had so many kids coming to be treated for these tropical ulcers that she had to tell them, okay, these are our days and these are our hours. You have to come at these times. Otherwise, there's just people there solidly. And so this is actually a picture of the children's ministry. Just as Chelsea shoots them up there, I'll just tell you what they are. But that's my sister. She loves kids. She loves animals, old people, and children. (laughs) Those are her three favorite things in life. And uh, my mother is the same way. So anyway, after a period of time, Stephanie began being kind of known in the area for being Um, successful with treating tropical ulcers. So she was sort of like the tropical ulcer person. And so from that, there's a book that's available for third world countries where there is not access to medical help. There's probably multiple books like this, but this one is called Where There Is No Doctor. And it's like it's a village guide so that whoever had the book could say, okay, let's look at your symptoms. We're going to match up with this. It says this is what you've got. This is what you should do. And so over there, uh, there are no, if a prescription is given, it's just to tell you what to get. But you could really go to the pharmacy and get anything you wanted. They don't, they don't control things there like they do here. And so Steph began studying this book and helping people and trying to be a blessing because there wasn't a whole lot of medical care there. And she'd just study the book. She would just read it and read it and read it and read it until finally she was treating so many people she had to hire a um, hire a nurse. Yeah, hold on to that for just a minute, Chelsea. She had to hire a nurse, and then eventually there was a couple shots before you saw a white building. That's the medical center that they have now. And in that medical center, they have over 80 employees. They treat all of the employees and their families. It's part of their compensation plan. Um, Stephanie is always sending poor people in there to be treated. It's open to the public. It's open 24 hours a day to treat anybody who needs to be treated. Um, It's, for whatever reason, Steph doesn't know why, but it's become the place of choice for women to have their babies, maybe because it's nice and clean. (laughs) She has, uh, it's staffed with, um, well, I'll call them doctor nurses, because over there, if you're a nurse, if there's not enough doctors to go around, then you just function like a doctor. That's just the way it is. Um, Many, many places on, on this planet. And so there's a pharmacy in there. They're starting to get things together for an operating room because some of the doctors want to be able to come there and perform surgeries and stuff. And so this is one of the ministries. It, it does a great, great ministry, for, for especially for the poor, taking care of those who are a part of the ministry. Um, it also houses, you can go back to that other one, uh, the orphan baby ministry. And again, what does the Lord do? He orders our steps. He sometimes orders our steps in very surprising ways. So um, many years ago, we'll just leave it at that, (laughs) Um, a family showed up with two little babies. Their mother had died in childbirth. They were somewhere in the vicinity of three pounds each. And the father just said, if you can't help me, these babies will die. 
could you could you help? Well, Steph wasn't prepared for babies. She hadn't thought anything about babies. and But, you know, those, those are difficult circumstances. So she said, okay, I can't promise you anything. I've never done this. I've never had children even, but I'll do my best. And so she took these little babies. She threw stuff out of a drawer. She put some padding in it, put the babies in there. Um, she knew that they should stay warm, so she put a heating pad in that she'd turn on and off and on and off, trying to keep it sort of extra warm and keep them all um, nice and, and snuggly. And uh, she had to feed sometimes with an eyedropper. Their suck, suck reflex wasn't completely intact yet, and so they began to thrive. And they are part of our family today, Monty and Vicki. But that's the Lord ordering steps. But what Stephanie realized is I made a difference in the lives of these two. But for every one of these two, this story is repeated hundreds and thousands of times. Because if a woman dies when her children are still uh, nursing or if she dies in childbirth, it is almost always a death sentence for the baby in those parts of the world. You know, it's like, well, why don't they just go get milk? Because milk costs money. And, you know, these are decisions we don't have to make, but these are the kind of decisions people in other nations make. It's like, okay, I can save this baby. We can take the family's money. We can buy milk, and we can save this baby. Now I don't have food for my other six children, my spouse, and myself. So we're all going to die if I save this children. So we're just going to see what happens. We'll do the best we can. Those are the decisions you and I don't have to make. But other people in other parts of the world, they have to make that. So Stephanie started thinking, and she thought, well, there's other babies out there in this same, same situation. So she's gone through several different phases. But now this orphan baby ministry, and it also is extended to young women who are not able to produce milk um, sufficient for their children. It happens occasionally even over there. Uh, so now she has a ministry that works through the medical center where every week once the, once the babies are placed on this program, they have to have a person to care for them. She used to keep babies in-house, and it, did not, it didn't work when they were trying to transition back into their homes. It was too traumatic for those, those little babies. And so um, all the babies who get into the program, they're brought in once a week. The nurse weighs them, makes sure that their birth weight is going up properly. They're given a little bag of milk flour. Whenever the children are in that program, medical care is provided for anything that comes up to them through the medical center. If they have colds, if they have, you know, more serious illnesses, it doesn't matter. Their medical needs are taken care of um, through the medical center. And so they're given little bags of milk uh, to take home. And then the next week they have to keep coming in. As they get older, they're discharged by age three most of the time. And then by that time, she's giving them soy flour to make a porridge for the kids so that they, they can eat normally. So this has saved the lives of hundreds and hundreds of babies just through something as simple as providing them with milk, um, something that you and I take for granted. The next thing is <clears throat> uh, their academic school. <laughs> they saw a need, uh, even though the Congo, if you, if you look at the statistics of the Congo, um, it is almost, it is, Christianity is huge. However, the, the message of the gospel has not fully penetrated a lot. And the, the place is full of corruption. And so they decided the best thing was to be able to get the word of the God and to teach these kids from 
from the ground level up. We just raise up a new generation. And so they started the academic school. My sister is a school teacher. That is her true degree. <laughs> um, and so they started the academic school, I don't know, probably over 30 years ago. Um, but they started it one class at a time and added. Eventually, you'll see a chemistry lab here. Um, they have a computer lab that we, I just took three computers out, and another uh, missionary took three computers out. So they have one of the few computer labs in a high school in the city. And so they're, they're raising these kids up, teaching them the academics, and at the same time getting the word of God instilled in the hearts of these kids. It's become known as one of the best schools in the year. While we were, while we were there, the results, it's not like it is here. Here, if you can convince them to graduate you when you're in the 12th grade, if you can pass and squeak through, you've got your diploma and you say, I'm a high school graduate. In most countries of the world, um, that's not true, and it's not true here. When you've finished high school, there is a huge exam to take. And if you don't pass that exam, you are not a high school graduate, no matter where you went to school and how long you studied. So you have to do the last year again and retake the test and do the last year again and retake the test so you can pass it if you can ever pass it. And so while I was there, the results came out. In Stephanie's school, I think they had three or four who didn't pass. Everyone else passed. There were other schools in the area that had nobody pass the national exam at all. And so the school has become, I remember Stephanie telling me a story one time. She said this Muslim family came and said, we want to enroll our child. She said, no, you don't. And they said, oh, yes, we do. <laughs> she said, no, because if you enroll your kids in our school, we are going to teach them about Jesus, and they'll be Christian. And they said, well, we'll take our chances, but, <laughs> you know, we want, we want them to have a good education so they'll be able to be successful. And so it's become one of the top schools in the whole, whole region. Um, it was funny, one of their traditions there is when you pass the exam, I don't know why, but they put, the graduates put flour is it powder, Monty, or flour? Both. Okay, anything that makes you white. So we go to church on Sunday, and this girl comes in. She's all covered in white. It's just part of their celebration. And everybody's like, oh, you passed. Yay, they're congratulating her. And so uh, they have some cool and different traditions than what we do. And so really they're at a point now where they're starting to see students who are, have come up through the school. They're getting good jobs in prominent positions and places to really cause an influence in the, in, in the nation, which is a long-term project. <laughs> Not a short-term project. It is a long-term investment of, of life. So then, um, there is the prison ministry, and I only have a couple shots. Huh? He says there's 1,200 students in the school, and there is over 1,000. I don't know exactly. Is that what Steph told you? Okay, 1,200 students enrolled, and they could have twice that if they would have afternoon sessions. But if you haven't met my sister, my sister is not a Nambi. She has very firm feelings about things, and she says kids are too tired. If you go in the, in the afternoon, and it's hot, and they're tired, they can't learn well, so she's not doing an afternoon session. School's out, I think, noon, one, something like that. Um, and so... That's the way she thinks. <laughs> so there is one of the ministries they have is the prison ministry. And I was asking Stephanie about that, this in particular. This lady, she does this twice a week now. She uh, makes two big pots of that stuff. 
and it's a combination of cornmeal, soy flour, sugar, salt, and oil. And that's the combination that they have, that Steph has come up with, that and you might have your own opinions about it. She doesn't really care about your opinions, Stephanie. She's pretty solid about what she's thinking, what's practical, and what she can do. And, and so um, she's figured out that it gives you protein. It gives you lots of calories, which these prisoners need. I'll explain in a little bit. Um, and so she makes two big pots of those. They put them, they form them into a bowl and just put them in there so that in the prison, they put their hand in a plastic bag and plop them in everybody's bowl. Everybody has their own bowl there. Some of them didn't have bowls. I went with her one day. They have like a piece of paper, whatever they could find. Um, but uh, that's the, it's, a, it's, very, it's very nourishing for them, and they get that. It's a big old clump. You and I would be stuffed, but they are so, so happy to get that. But this ministry began, again, we're talking about how the Lord orders our steps. You know, it's not like he gives you a warning. He doesn't say, now next week, on Friday at 10 o'clock, <laughs> I'm going to talk to you about a new thing I want you to do. Things don't happen like this. So as Stephanie was telling me about this, actually the first time I'd heard, heard the full story, she said within a period of 10 days, she'd never had any involvement with the prison, but she said within a period of 10 days, three different people, two of them, I think all three were strangers, came up to her and asked her in varying difference of intensity why she was not involved in prison ministry. And so the very last one, she said she was at a funeral and there was a man sitting next to her. He was talking with all his friends. Um, she did not know this man. And he turned to her and said, are you a Christian? And she said, yes, I am. And she says, I do the best I can to live for the Lord. And he said, so how can you call yourself a Christian and you just leave those prisoners down there in the prison and do nothing for them? Well, this was time number three. Steph said it was very humiliating. He said it very openly in front of everybody. She, she said, <laughs> she gave him a reason, something like, well, you know, everybody has their own gift and their own call, and not everyone can do anything. She said he just went, Psh. <laughs> And so she said she just got really in quiet in her heart because it's like, this is the third time in a period of no more than 10 days that a complete stranger has come to me and started talking to me about prison ministry. So she just pondered on it. And so she said one day she was about to go back to her house, but she was in the vicinity of the prison, but the road that led up to the prison had been destroyed for years. You couldn't get, it wasn't accessible with a vehicle. And she thought, well, maybe I'll just go over to that area. I'll just, you know, I'll park and go. Well, when she got there, Somebody had done road work, which is not common there, and had made the road where you could just drive right up to the prison. So she drove right up to the prison. She walked inside, and, and they said, you know, well, what are you, what are you here for? And she said, well, um, she told them. She said, within a period of 10 days, I've had three people come to me and tell me that I need to help the prisoners, and I just thought I'd come by. And so right then a man walked out who was familiar with her, who knew who she was, and he was actually the, the nurse doctor <laughs> for the prison. <laughs> and he said, well, come on in my office. She explained everything, and he said, well, would you like to see some prisoners? And she said, oh, yeah, I'd like to see some prisoners. And so he said, well, I can show you some of the sick ones. Those are the ones that I work with. And so he took her in there, and she said there were six to eight people just in a circle in the room 
their knees were drawn up, their arms around their knees, and she said they looked like there was no life in them. She said they were so, they were all Africans, but they were all so pale, she thought, is this like, is this a group from another region? Are these mixed race people? I mean, these don't, and, but she said they didn't even, they wouldn't even respond to her, wouldn't speak, nothing, they had no, they couldn't even stand up, they were so weak. And so she said she just greeted them and tried to keep her face very pleasant, even though she was horrified inside. And so when they went back into her office, she said, what sickness do they have? What's wrong with them? And he said, oh, they're hungry. She said, they're just hungry? And he said, yeah, they, they don't, over there, this is how it works when you get put in prison. First of all, there's not minimum security, maximum security. You've got prison, you've got murderers in with somebody who cheated on something, along with somebody who pickpocketed somebody at the, at, they're all together. There's no cells. It's a big, like a courtyard with little rooms off of it. They all sleep in at night. So <clears throat> the, this is how it works. You are in a bad way if you get put in prison far from home because <laughs> you only get fed there um, as they're able, and if they're able, very small amounts. So if you don't have a family member who will come in and supplement you and bring you food to take care of you, you're just in a bad way. And then obviously sometimes people who are in prison, sometimes they're at odds with their family members. I'm sure that comes into play too. You know, so, so these men were literally dying of starvation. And so Steph said, she said, well, can I go? And can I just like get some bananas and peanuts and bring it? He said, sure, you can bring anything you want. So she said she immediately went out. She bought a bunch of bananas, got a bunch of peanuts, took it back, and they just consumed it. And she said for a period of three months, she said, Melody, she said, I was like a woman in love. She said, I couldn't sleep at night for thinking what I was going to cook them the next day, what I was going to make them, thinking, ooh, I bet they'd like this. Oh, I bet this would be delicious. I bet this would be nourishing for them. And she would cook things for them every day, take it to these sick prisoners at the time. And so gradually she has just built up a ministry to the prison, and this is her heartthrob right now. She told me, she said, sometimes when she doesn't have time, she'll send other people in. But she said, Jared, did you go with us over there? Okay, Jared and Joel went with us and Vicky last time when we were when we were there, and um, she just loves. She says, if I don't get to go at least once a week, she says I just can't hardly stand it. It's like I've been deprived or something. She loves it, but right now they're feeding about two hundred prisoners. Now she goes on a uh, she goes. She said the Red Cross came in for a while. I'm not putting the Red Cross down, but it was a short term project for them. They had heard there's trouble in the prison with people being malnourished. So they came in, and she said they do humility. They did all this complex stuff. They weigh them. They check their body fat. They do all these different things to see if they need the extra food or if they don't. And they bring them all these specialized formulas. But then, you know, when their program was done and out of funds, then, then that's it, you know. It's, it's back to the way it was before. They said, okay, everybody's healthy now, so we can leave. It's like, well, they won't be healthy once you leave. But... <laughs> But, you know, that's the way sometimes things are with different kind of aid projects. So Stephanie said, no, my, my system is much less complex. She said, if, I, if I, people are dismissed or people are getting healthier, she said, I asked them, I said, bring me all the skinny people. And so the soldiers will bring her all the skinny people. And she says she has them hike their sleeve up. And she says, if she doesn't see any fat up here, you know, 
then they qualify as a skinny person who needs help. She said if she's still not sure looking at their arm, she has them hike up their pants to about like here where she can see their thigh muscle. It's like, no, that is like a wasted. <laughs> it needs some fat on it, and so she'll put them on the program. So, um, you know, sometimes we make things more complicated than we need to. Sometimes we wait until we've got everything all figured out to do something um, when really it can be done a lot more simply. So 200 people every week. She feeds now twice a week. She goes in there. Um, like I said, it's sort of like a it's open area with rooms on the side, but during the day the, all the doors to all the rooms are open. All the prisoners are in that courtyard area. So the guard opens the gate. We went, I went inside with her one time. <clears throat> and then they shut the gate behind you, and there you are with about a 1,000 prisoners. Um, all the guards are on the outside. <laughs> and so, so I just did whatever I was told. She said, sit right there. It's like, yes, ma'am, <laughs> I will sit right here. <laughs> and she sat beside me, and, and so we're giving out the food. Well, they know that there's always going to be a little extra food left at the end, and so um, there's these rows of prisoners who start lining up because if there's any left, they want some at the end, even if they're not on the program. So they're lining up, but like two or three times while we're sitting there, I mean, they started pushing in, and I mean, they are thrashing people back because they're just going to, Steph's just sitting here. I'm like, Jesus, Shandala, my hope it is. Lord. If Steph's okay, I'm okay, and Jesus is with me. Thank you, Lord. Okay, everything's going to be fine. But um, it's like, oh, wow. She said, yeah, they were very badly behaved, Melody. I'm sorry that you had to see that. It's like, yes, they were, and I'm glad to know that that's not common. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not sure about you doing this ministry. But anyway, she takes in uh, when she can because of that number of people um, it's a very, it's not a large prison. That number of people being confined together in close quarters, um, there is there is all sorts of TB is rampant through there. There are all sorts of skin problems that come from close quarters, and so they're all coming here. Mama, look at my this. Mama, look at my that. Mama, look at my. It was really kind of funny. And so she's handing out ointments and antibiotics. She would totally disapprove. It's <laughs> like here, and her policy is bring me the empty packet back next time, and I'll give you more. That's how it works. <laughs> and so she's just handing things out, looking at things, and and people are being being blessed and helped, even though she is not a person who has a lot of medical training or anything like that. Through very very simple program. There have been several cases where the prison has called her in and said, listen, this person is going to die. Will you take them, put them in your medical center and see, we'll discharge them, just see if you can help them live. And she's taken a number, has put them in the medical center, nursed them back to health, um, and help them get on their feet again. Uh, and so it's a, it's a great thing. There's been lots of people who've come to the Lord She's telling me she goes out in the villages and there'll be people, do you remember me, Mom? I was in the prison and you came and visited me. She's like, oh, yes, I remember you. And you gave me Ugali. It was so good. Thank you. And so it's making a huge impact in the lives of people. There is a church there. I think I had a picture of the pastor. He's such a wonderful man of God. 
um, very, very gentle spirit, and he's leading the church there. The church was established initially for the Bible school students because they were all from different areas of the country, but it's become more of a community church now, and I had had a few pictures there. Of, uh, there's no electricity that one. There was electricity that day because they brought in a generator, but usually there's no electricity, so most of the shots that I had weren't, they wouldn't, they weren't worth showing to you, so that's my sweet mama. For those of you who know my sweet mama, she's had some challenges with, with her um, mind in these last three years, but she has three favorite words that she uses everywhere she goes and speaks them to everybody who will look at her, and those three words are, I love you looks in their eyes, and she says, I love you. <laughs> I love you. She's still ministering, um, even though things things have been kind of challenging for her. And then the last thing, this is in the works, is a university. They decided that they're going to build a university. And these are, the, so they had this in their heart, my sister and um, my dad. They've kind of a combination of things. It was prophesied. Um, over, Steph said over 25 years ago, a group came through and they just prophesied that one day there's going to be a university on this. Well, Steph was just starting like first grade of the academic school. She's just like, well, Lord, I'm not going to despise prophecy because your word says not to. But we're just, I'll just put that in the back of my mind. Well, it started coming in the forefront of her mind. There's a lot of corruption over there especially at the university level. It's not like what we experience here. You go, you pay your tuition, then you show up for class. And depending on the professor, the professor might say, um, you're, you can only get your syllabus from me, and that's going to be an extra $10. Well, $10 for you and I is not much. $10 over there is huge. So time, come time to take a test. Oh, if you want to write the test, it's going to be $3 to write the test. And then if you want me to grade the test that you wrote, it's going to be another $2 for me to grade the test that you wrote, and just depending on the honesty of the individual professor. And so um, it's, it's a big challenge, and so they just decided they're going to build a university. It came into their hearts. And um, when they were thinking about this, one of Stephanie's former students from the school, from the academic school, came to visit her. He had just got done with college. This is a top view of the building. Is that good? Okay. All right. <laughs> this is a man over here. It's like, you're talking about all the unnecessary stuff. But okay. But anyway, so um, I, now I don't know where I was. That was the top of the building. That's the last thing I know. Anyway, this is the side of Oh, her student, he showed up, and he had just finished college, and he had um, a degree in engineering. And she said, Oh, I'm going to tell you what our next project is. Well, he says, oh, well, let me go home and work on designing this for you. So she said for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, months, they went back and forth. He'd come back and say, what do you think about this? She said, oh, that's not quite what we had in mind. What about this? And so finally, he helped him come up with this design. Well, this young man, I don't think I put any pictures in there, and I didn't have any good ones. But um, he has helped them. Uh, and when it was all designed, she said, you know, he wanted to further his education. She said, you are a young man, and he is. And God's using him in a mighty way. <laughs> and uh, she said, would you like to just stay and help us get this started? And you don't have to see it through to the end because it's a long-term project, but would you like to stay and help us get it started? This is a fruit of kindergarten, first grade, come up through the school, gone off to university, come back. He said, absolutely. 
And so he is so invested. I got to speak with him, the, you know, like the first day that I was there. And he's like, yeah, I stay right here because sometimes people don't understand things. They don't understand what's important. And I make sure they do everything just right. And so this is, when we talk about building, every building that my father has built, this is how we start. These are human beings. These are not diggers digging the foundation. This is how we do things there. So um, just go ahead and flick through these, Chelsea. Oh, there is the engineer right there. He's a very young man. He's still in his 20s, but he is as sharp as a tack. Here's one of the columns. You can just keep through moving here. All of these, all of these, the rebars brought in from other places, they put all the rebar together like that themselves to serve the purposes. Um, the, they haul the rock in. They actually have some quarry on the property. They have 100 acres, the ministry does here. Make all of their own bricks, um, mixing it by hand in a wheelbarrow, cement, sand, water, all the proper proportions. Here they are. This is how... They have a brick maker, pour it into the mold, make the bricks. Um, every step of this, Steph has a big vision. She says, one wing, the foundation is, this is going to have five wings. One wing, the foundation is done. <clears throat> she says, Melody, next time I want to be able to hire someone to dig that foundation. And you can understand why it takes months for individuals to be able to dig all that out. But anyway, the vision for this university is that they'll be able to continue to train people up, that it'll be a place of integrity, that there will be, it will be Christian. Um, here, this lets you show how deep that foundation is. This area has lots of shifting, uh, if there's any builders here, I don't know if there are, but uh, heaving soil from the clay. And in addition, there's a lot of earthquake activity. I shouldn't say a lot. There is earthquake activity. The lake itself is a rift lake. So there's earthquake activity in the area, and so things have to be built properly if you want them to endure the course of time. So there's some really, really deep foundations. A lot of money's been invested, and this is out in the future. Um, it'll go up one wing at a time, one floor at a time. I think it's going to be three floors. Um, and then they'll move to the next swing and the next swing, and they'll, they'll do it gradually like that. But anyway, so that is what is in the future. That's what, even through this whole pandemic, you know, I was so surprised because they don't brag on themselves very much. Daddy sends me these letters, and I, you know, I kind of edit it for him and put them out. And when I got there, it's like, Daddy, you didn't say anything about all y'all have accomplished <laughs> in this building. Because <laughs> a lot of things, I mean, they've lost um, some major supporters of this particular project during the pandemic, just businesses, you know, not doing well. And yet they've just continued to move forward and do what they can, um, make bricks, buy concrete, get the bricks ready so they're ready to go up when the time is right. And so it is really moving forward, and there's going to be a day that I'm going to be able to stand here and tell you that classes have started and that the Lord Jesus is being magnified through this university, reaching the people in that region of the Congo that is, um, it's a rather isolated region. So... That's about all that I have to share today. Y'all have been so patient. Pastor is so good about getting done on time. I'm not, but I'm usually not this late. But let's all bow our heads together and, and uh, pray. Lord, thank you so much for everything that you allow us to be involved in. And so many of these things, uh, Lord, I know that, that people sitting out here, they haven't really even 
understood the extent of what we're doing. Um, But Lord, it is such a privilege for us to be able to be involved, such a privilege, Lord, for me to be able to go over and visit and come back home and to those that I love here and, and know that you're with those that I love there. And Father, I just pray that um, in this congregation today, that Father, we would, we would open our eyes, that we would listen to you, listen to your direction, that we would know when you are leading us, you're guiding us, you're showing us through things to come, that we would pay attention when you are ordering our steps. Lord, that we would not lean on our own understanding. And when you give us a great big idea or a huge vision, Lord, that we wouldn't dismiss it just thinking I could never do that. But Lord, that we would connect with you, that we would realize that you are directing our paths. You are ordering our steps. And you're doing it not just for us, but for those who are around us, for those that you want us to impact those that you want us to minister to, those that we don't even know that you want to create. You want to create a bridge, Lord, to them, that your love would be able to be shared with them, that they would know you the way that we know you, that they would have that comfort of knowing that Jesus is with them wherever they go, that they're not alone, that they're not doing life all on their own. Father, we thank you that there is nobody in your kingdom who is useless. (laughs) I know the enemy tries to make us think that we're useless. We have no purpose. We have no strength. We have no ability. But Lord, I thank you that you see each of us, each one of your children, as a custom-made instrument to be used for your glory. And Father, I pray that we would cooperate Let's just pray this together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for ordering my steps. Help me to open my eyes and to see where you're leading. Help my ear to not be deaf to your voice. Help me to be seeing. Help me to be hearing so that, Lord, I can walk in the path you have for me. Thank you, Jesus, for never leaving me. (laughs) Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I've been kind of living in Ezekiel 37. Keep going back there. Keep going back there. It's in the Valley of Dry Bones. And Ezekiel sees this Valley of Dry Bones. And and (laughs) the Lord asks him this question. He says, can these live? And Ezekiel, he's smart. (laughs) He's not super confident, but he just says, Lord, only you know that. (laughs) But you know, there might be some things that you have allowed to die. You've just let it be too big for you. You've looked and said, I'm not big enough for that. I couldn't do that. But you know, at the end of Ezekiel's vision, 
God breathed. He breathed. And there came life. And I just want to encourage you today. I don't care what it is, you know. Sometimes there's windows of opportunity that lead us. Sometimes there's just visions and dreams that are inside of us that we just allow to die from lack of nurturing, from lack of dreaming, from lack of thinking about them, from from lack of of realizing that God's with us in those things. And if you're one of those people here today and it's like, Melody, this thing has died inside of me, I'm telling you, God's breathing on that thing today. 